You never know. Okay, start the tape now. Okay, we are moving into our second or third week on the issue of spiritual gifts. And by way of... Um, yes, sir. Is there an envelope with this one if you want to compare it to? Uh, yeah, that's, well, mine has an envelope. We'll just restart again, Zeb. It'll be okay. Zeb? I don't, I don't want this on the tape, Zeb. Zeb, we don't want this on the tape. Can we just stop and start one more time? No. This is the third time. Curses, Jeff. Foiled again. Okay. Okay. Any other disruptions, announcements, proclamations, declarations, investigations? Okay. We are moving on to our study of the Holy Spirit. By way of where we've come, we started this this study two years ago. Um, we started with the issue of of the Bible. Then we moved from the Scripture to God the Father to God the Son and man and sin and salvation. And we worked through those issues, attributes of God, that led us now, having gotten through salvation, to the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I mean, first we studied He is a person and He is God. And now, having studied the person of the Holy Spirit, we're now moving to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to start with a broad circle, then move in. So we've established, and I'll just review what we've got on this sheet so far. If you look at your sheet, there are two sides. The source is the side we've already done. I'll just give you the blanks if you want them. The spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, 11, by one Spirit, you're given gifts. Um, so the Holy Spirit distributes gifts, but here's the second point, which is important. It is he who decides what gifts are given to whom. So Paul is emphatic on this point in first Corinthians. The Holy Spirit distributes according to his will. It's his will, it's his choice, it's his decision. It's not our own. Um, the Holy Spirit's going to give out what he thinks is necessary, what pleases him, um, and there's no guarantee, there's nothing even indicated that we can get certain gifts if we pray hard enough or if we pursue them hard enough. Um, the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts as he wills. Second, spiritual gifts are given to every believer. And then the next question, okay, does only, do only some Christians get spiritual gifts? No. In 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, Peter's explicitly clear to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. It indicates that it applies to every believer and has received, indicates that each believer has already received the gift. And then we further notice that Peter, at least in his looking at the gifts, categorizes them into two groups, speaking and serving. One of the things that's interesting is I don't think Scripture gives us an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts because all the lists are slightly different. I don't think any of the authors are attempting to be exhaustive. Um, so you can look at them. There's about four different partial lifts. One's in Peter there, another's in 1 Corinthians 12, another's in 1 Corinthians 14, um, one's in Romans 12. And there's a lot of similarity to them, but each one's slightly unique. So we don't have an exhaustive list. I don't believe we do. So they're from the Holy Spirit. He determines who gets what. Every believer's given one. And um, at least Peter breaks them into gifts of speaking and gifts of serving. We'll get to the purpose of gifts in just a second, and we can answer your question. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so to what end? So that's the source. To what end? And open up to 1 Corinthians 12. Just we'll review this quickly, because this is important. Because um, we're going to eventually get to the question of some of the more controversial, debatable 
charismatic gifts, what's going on today. And I want to lay a foundation of some bedrock principles first as we approach that. We probably won't even get there today, but um, I, I think it's an important foundation to lay. Just generally, what are the purpose of the gifts? Broadly speaking, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Could someone read 1 Corinthians 12, 7? Notice to each, that's individual, right? To each, that's an individual, it's not a group. Each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit for what purpose? Common good. Common good. Your spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body, not the edification of self. Edification of the body, not the edification of self. They're for the building of the body, not building up the individual. That's crucial to remember and hang on to. Um, because, well, you'll see. Just hang on to that. And, and Paul, I think, is clear. And we see the same thing in Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. Christ gave the church gifted men to build the body of Christ by equipping the saints for service. Again, what are the purpose of these gifts and these gifted people? It's for building up the entire body of Christ. It's for corporate growth. Um, The reason why I'm making this point is when we look at some of these specifically proposed gifts today, what you'll find is a number of them are claimed to exist to build the individual up. And I'm going to fundamentally cry foul there and say, no, the gifts are to build the body up. Individuals are gifted to benefit everybody. So if if we're going to argue there's a gift where I can go off in a corner with just me and Jesus and exercise my gift and be built up, that's not what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12. That's, that's, where, that's the point I'm trying to make here. That's, that's the significance I'm going to eventually press on. But I just want you to see it. Any questions on that before we move on? That's what we covered before. Um, any, any questions on that? It may, it may not seem tremendously significant now. It will. It will. Um, <clears throat> and then the purpose, again, stated, in order to serve others, not benefit ourselves, First Peter 4.10, we are to use our gifts in service of one another. And just turn there again, because I want you to see this in the black and white. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Not yourself, one another. 1 Peter 4.10. It's First Peter four ten. That's what I just read. Sorry, sorry, sorry. First Corinthians four ten. First Peter. Sorry, did I say I said Corinthians? First Peter four ten. As each of you has received a gift of this, a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. And then we get those categories. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God gives that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then briefly we looked at how Paul says that prophecy is superior to tongues because prophecy builds up the body. But I just want to make the main point. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? To build up the corporate body. Individuals are gifted to bless the many. Individuals are gifted with gifts to build up and edify and serve others. Specifically, they're not given to serve ourselves. Um, That's huge. I think we will see. Any questions before we flip the page? That's really a review of what we did before. Okay. Okay. 
Um, please turn the page over, and we'll go back to 1 Corinthians 12. Spiritual gifts, I'm going to argue. Oh, I know. Nope, sorry. I'm on the wrong page. Okay, the responsibility. There we go, sorry. The responsibility of spiritual gifts. If we don't exercise our gifts, we hurt other believers. Now, this is important to grasp as well, because so often people that don't want to serve, people that will claim mock humility, oh, I could never do that, they, they really think they're just hurting themselves. That's not true at all. If the purpose of the gifts is to build up the entire body, then what happens if the individual members aren't exercising their gifts? What happens if all of us in mock humility decides to bury our talents in the sand? What happens then? If the, if the whole purpose is corporate growth, what happens? Stunted growth, right? This is, this is important to grasp. Paul, Paul in Ephesians um, 4 speaks about how the church builds itself up in love, but only, he says, when each joint with which it is equipped and each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if an individual decides not to serve, if an individual, for whatever reason, decides they're not necessary, they're not important, um, they'll just let the, they'll let the important people handle it, then the entire body suffers. That's what Paul's saying. Every joint has something, here's your blank, to contribute. Every joint has something to contribute. All of, what's dangerous is because of the way we form our Sunday gatherings, and this is why you've got to grasp a vision for church that exceeds two hours on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, there's about three or four or five of us who get a lot more prominence than others. I, I probably more than anybody, right? I, I talk for 40, 45 minutes, and worship teams need deacons. Um, and and it can, you can be tempted to think, oh, the church grows and is run by a handful of people. It's not it at all. The church grows and does ministry when each part's working properly. Yes, our Sunday morning gatherings have some key people who are, who are more upfront than others, but everyone's necessary. But more than that, being part of a church and being part of a church body is more than just what you do on Sunday morning for two hours. It's, it's what you're doing throughout the week as we're, as we're encouraging one another, praying for one another, speaking truth to one another, gathering together in smaller groups. That's all equally important. And that's where those things happen is where more and more the individual members will be serving and functioning. So yes, you may not appear to have a vital role Sunday morning, Although I still think you'd be surprised at how a timely encouragement, a timely word of truth can have a huge impact on someone else. But as the church corporate throughout the week, we, we're all vital. It's all necessary. This, this is hugely important because we, 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 we face a consumeristic culture where people want to come to be served and not to serve and where they treat choosing a church like choosing something off a, a buffet cart or a salad bar and, you know, the customer is always right. And if the church doesn't do what you want it to do, I'll go find a church that does do what I want it to do. This church is a little later. I like that. This church has got a better worship team. I like that. This church has, you know, and, and you just sort of shop. And there's no room for that in Paul's metaphor of a body. There's no room for that in, in we are necessary. You are necessary. So I, I know this is something I probably hammer a lot, but any any questions on that? Any thoughts on that before we move on? Because it is important. You guys are just brimming with ideas this morning. <sighs> okay, okay, yes. 
and serving instead of just taking. Yeah. But when you're when you're serving for a church, um, is there harm in uh, what what criteria do you use to define mm. where you want to go? If it's not, I mean, if if churches A, B, and C all yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a great question. Let me pause. Let me answer. So the question is for the tape. Um, you know, we, we want to resist consumerism, but if you're looking for a church, and assuming you got three or four fairly equal, fairly solid, fairly faithful churches, then what's the harm in saying I liked this, I liked that, I felt this here, I felt that there? If what you said is true, nothing. I my experience is that. All churches aren't equal at that first point. I think people just look at it, oh, it seems orthodox. Like, the first thing I'd want to do is read, the first thing anytime I go to any ministry or any church, the first thing I want to look at is a doctrinal statement. Um, not just because I'm some Pharisee, but because not having one tells me something. <laughs> and what they want to emphasize tells me something. And if their doctrinal statement's one paragraph long, that tells me something. Because they know that's a flag they're flying. So I'm, I'm more interested in what are they trying to communicate. And I can get that. So when I go someplace and it's like, we believe in the Bible and love Jesus, and that's their doctrinal statement, I get nervous. Um, <laughs> because, well, because they know, what, no, but they know what they're doing when they put that as a doctrinal statement. And so I know what they're doing when they put that as a doctrinal statement. And like, uh, so that's my first thing would really be, what, do you really do that? I mean, there's plenty of churches, and I'm not going to name any names, there's plenty of churches that they preach the gospel and they teach the Bible. But how they live it out and what they do and what they take that to mean is very, very different. Um, and so I, I, first off, I don't think they're all, it's just sort of a check, okay, they're not her- heretics. The second thing would be, and this is, I'll use an example, maybe, maybe we could think, where could I serve? Who could use, where could I, where could I build? You guys know the Millers, right? I'm not Island Kendall, but, um, first names escaping. What? Yeah, John and Janet Miller. They, they no longer attend here. And one of the things they did, it was just fantastic. They came in and met with me and talked because they wanted to, they wanted, they didn't just want to take their ball and leave. Do you know why they left? They had just heard um, how our church financially was sound. They'd worked through the transition of me coming into the senior pastor and then Daniel coming on board. And they said, we really believe this church is set and well and prospering and strong and whole. And we really think that the church in Indianola, Mark Norman's church, could use more people. And we think we could be of service there. And it's closer. And we would be able to be of more service there. I thought that was fantastic. I, this wonderful, you know, and, and let me, let me give Mark Norman a ring and have him give you guys a warm welcome because that was fantastic. That, that wasn't consumer. It was where can we serve? We can be of service here. They need help. God's blessed this church. It's, it's not in urgent need. This is a church that is. That was fantastic. That's, that's a way to pick a church, you know, <laughs> um, that's the way to pick. They didn't come in and say, well, their, their service starts a little later and we like their music. It wasn't that at all. It was where can we serve? Um, so how to, how to pick a church? I, I would just want to know, the biggest thing to me is where they stand on truth, practically. Everyone's going to say they're for truth. Nobody's going to be like, we don't care about truth. Nobody's going to say, we don't really care about the Bible. But um, I, I want to watch. I hear this from people, and we're not, we are not going to name names. This is a heads up. We are not naming any names. But I'll, have, I'll talk to people who've gone and visited other churches, 
and um, or a fr- you, you were posting about this online yesterday, where you go to a service and they open the Bible once or twice. Well, they opened the Bible. It was biblical. But there's a difference between biblical and biblical. There's a difference between saying you believe something and living on. I want to know how do people live things out? How do they deal with sin? How do they how do they deal with um, do they take things seriously? I'd, I'd want to I'd want to get a feel for do they really are they trying to do and trying to live what I see here. Um, that would be my first and most important grid. The second issue would be, uh, if they are, I think these are people striving to do this, um, and trying to be a community. Um, do, do I think I could be of service here? Has the Lord gifted me in some way to strengthen them or to help or to, to, to play a part? Um, and th- that would be the next, another question. Now certainly, in with that, things like, you know, do they have ministry from the needs of my family? It's not a wrong thing at all. It's just, in a consumer culture, that's the lone measurement. And I'm saying, you know, maybe there's some other things that ought to weigh in the scales. You know, um, that, that's, that's more of a, a sort of a balanced approach. I'd say investigate more fully what really biblically faithful means, because not all people who claim to be biblically faithful are. And then certainly weigh in what they offer, but also weigh in where you can serve and what you can do. And also get the fact that there are, are opportunities here to get at big and small churches. I, I was at a mega church for nearly 10 years, and I was blessed by it. By virtue of it being a mega church, the level of teaching that I got was unparalleled. I mean, John MacArthur is one of the, one of the better expositors of our generation. There are other people. but So because it's John MacArthur, it's a big crowd. The downside of that, it is incredibly difficult at Grace Community Church to really get plugged in, to really build up relationships, and to really live life as a church. It's just really hard for 8,000 people to do that. Um, so there's a cost. On the positive side, you get to listen to John MacArthur. And what I realized was that's awesome. I can listen to John MacArthur on the radio. I can listen to John MacArthur on the internet. Um, what, I would, what I value so much more about this church is I can actually realistically hope to get to know everybody in the church. You know what I mean? We even get back to the whole notion of church membership and who are we. I can actually know who we are because I can in time get to know everybody. It might take me some time, but I can. <laughs> no, and that's why sometimes mega churches, you people hide out there because you can just come and go and disappear for a month and come and go and nobody says anything because nobody knows who you are. Um, you know, and so there's, there's, there's a cost plus analysis, you know. So, the teaching at Grace Community Church is phenomenal, and they do the best they can. It's just they have an impossible task, how to get 8,000 people to function like a local church. Good luck with that. And they're doing as well as they can with it. I mean, no harm, no foul. It's just there's a reality when you're dealing with 8,000 people. that You're not going to have like, oh, Bob, oh, so. you'll have a small group of people you know. You know, you'll have basically your own little church within the church of, of a dozen, two dozen people you know, but you're not going to know the church. Yes, Lee. Yeah. One of the re- yeah one of the reasons one of the reasons we have resisted moving to two services um, and we will who knows what we'll do. We've been slowly growing. One of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to more develop the fireside room to make it less of a step down experience, less of a you get to go sit in the fireside room. Less like purgatory, um, <laughs> and is to, is so that we can stick with one service. But one of the convictions I have is, if possible, congregations should congregate. And what happens over time when you get to the two service is you end up with over time more and more two churches governed by the same sets of leaders, especially when you have the contemporary service and the traditional service. 
But you end up with these two churches sharing the same set of leaders, functionally. Um, so it doesn't always happen. That's what it tends towards. And, uh, and again, the things where if somebody doesn't show up and they miss a couple weeks and people call them, you won't know because maybe they went to the early service. Um, so that's, that's one of the reasons we've been resisting that. Greg? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a good principle. Turn turn the page to First Corinthians fourteen. Let me back up what Greg said. Generally speaking, hard. Words yield soft hearts, and soft words yield hard hearts. I didn't make that up. Um, somebody else did. But look at First Corinthians fourteen. This, this is this is why I am not. Uh, we don't. I, we, the elders, do not get on board with the seeker-sensitive movement. For those of you who aren't familiar with the term, the seeker-sensitive movement says, "Hey, let's gear as much." And in the best examples, we're not going to compromise biblical principles, but as much as we can, to the degree that we're free, let us gear, focus, and direct our morning gatherings to the person who walked off the street, to the person who came along with a friend of theirs. Let's, let's focus on the seeker, okay? Now, the consequence of that is a high premium is given to things like professionalism, appearance. Those types of churches will spend a lot more money on architecture, lights. Um, the worship team will be A+. Plus. The message will be shorter, but the Bible doesn't tell us how long the sermon has to be. But, you know, your seeker's not going to want to listen to somebody talk for 45 minutes. So let's try 20, 25, maybe 30. And it'll be biblical. In the best examples, it'll be biblical. But we're also going to make sure it really relates to them and it's uplifting. People want, basically what people want is they want to be encouraged. And that's good. Encouragement's good. And so what you basically get is every Sunday morning, uh, gospel presentation. Every Sunday morning, we talk about some relevant life topic, some felt need. And, you know, we, we add some teaching in too. And what they say is, well, what we'll do is, we'll, once they get saved in the main service, we'll funnel them off to a small groups. And in the small group, that's where they'll go deep and that's where they'll be discipled. The danger of that line of think, before I get to the danger, here's why it's appealing. In that model, evangelism isn't going to somebody who's dying and sharing the words of life. Evangelism becomes, hey, want to come to church with me? Well, that's a whole lot easier. You can see why people would like that. For the pastor, it's easier because instead of doing deep biblical studying, you're really not ever going that deep because you're not teaching a message that an uninitiated, off-the-street person couldn't track with, right? So there's not going to be any depth of content. You're not going to say, you know, we've been learning over the last eight weeks. So when I'm teaching through Luke, there's a sense in which I'm assuming the majority of you have been following along, and so what we've learned earlier in Luke, I can assume in my teaching content and appeal to and and reference so we can go deeper because we're building knowledge. Um, In in a seeker-sensitive model, that's not going to happen as much because you want to make this message aimed at the person who walked in off the street with zero background. 
Now look at Paul's example of the seeker-sensitive church, or what he, what he estimates. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, is willing to contemplate, hey, what would happen? What would happen if an unbeliever walked in off the streets? Notice he doesn't assume that's what we're aiming for. He says, if. It's a possibility. Okay. Verse 23. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, do not say that you're out of your mind, but... If all prophesy, remember prophesying is simply a declaration, forth telling of truth. It does not have to be predictive. Zechariah's praising God for saving Israel from Egypt was prophesying. But if all prophesy, what happens? An unbeliever enters. He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. It doesn't sound very secret sensitive. He's convicted by all. He's held to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. His heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So that that's that's what you should expect. So so should you feel warm and fuzzy, or should you feel convicted by all, held to account by all, and the secrets of your heart disclosed? That you may not enjoy that as much. That'd be a great church to go to, <laughs> right? That's, that's what should be happening. If truth is being declared, is it not? Um, anyway, not, not that encourage, please don't, I'm not trying to pit encouragement against that. What I'm saying is, is more, more than anything, what we're seeing here is that truth is coming out. And truth is like a knife that cuts both ways. It can heal and it can, it can build up and, 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 and strengthen, but it can cut and tear, you know what I mean? But there's just this premium for being nice, niceness. Which isn't, by the way, a fruit of the Spirit. Niceness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Mercy, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, those are fruit of the Spirit. Anyway, so that's another thing for another time. Anyway. Okay, that's our little sidestep on what should the church be doing in the seeker-sensitive movement. Awesome. Okay, any other questions before we get back to the notes? Anything else? Okay. So... If one member of the body, go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13, on the sheet here. If one member of the body fails to perform his function, God has given it. What happens? What happens? I'm going to flip my page here. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, good grief, I'm on the wrong page again. It's terrible. Okay, 13 to 18. For in one spirit, we're all baptized in one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Let me just pause. The diversity of the body is its glory and strength. Which is, again, why having the contemporary service and the old service is a bad idea. It's like saying, let's have the ear service, and let's have the toe service, and let's have the, you know. No, the, the diversity of the body is its glory and strength. Which is why I'm not a fan of, you know, Messianic Jew churches when they're not in Israel. You know, Christ tore down the dividing wall. The glory of the body should be Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, men and women, old and young, together. That's its glory and that's its strength. Um, 
And, and Paul's insisting on that package. It's the diversity of the body that gives its, its strength and its wholeness. It's not that we're all the same. And the temptation we have is, oh, I don't look like him. I don't come from the same background as that person. I'll go find some place where I feel more comfortable. No, precisely because you're not like us, we need you. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, we're the sense of hearing. If the whole body were an ear, we'd be the sense of smell. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, the body has many parts, yet one body. Okay, you, you get that? This is, this is hugely important. Because, um, again, this gets back to consumerism. And I want to go find a group of people just like me. And there's a sense in which that's okay. If we get people growing through the same type of trials, new parents, and we want to form Bible study to help them out, that's great. That shouldn't be the defining characteristic of the church. That should not be the, the defining characteristic of the church. should be multi-age, multi-ethnic, multinational, multi-everything um, together in one body at peace with each other. Um, I mean, Jesus' disciples consisted of a, a, a terrorist and a tax collector, a guy who was sold out to the state and the government, and a guy who was, you know, the zealots were the terrorists, both in Jesus' disciples. I mean, I've been through this, some interesting conversations between Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, but um, anyway, we, we don't know. Um, so, the blanks. Every joint has something to contribute. First Corinthians 12, if one member of the body fails to perform the function God has given it, no one will carry it out, and the whole body suffers. If all were a single member, where would the body be? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the hand, head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, now get this. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are what? What? Indispensable. So if your argument is I'm too weak, I'm not as educated as Jeremy, I'm not as, as outgoing as Greg, I'm not as musically gifted as Dan. Therefore, I'll sit back and not use my gifts. If your argument is for why you justify not serving and, and using your gifts, if your argument is I'm too weak, I'm too, um, I'm too unimportant, I'm too um, unpresentable, it's Paul's word here, I'm too weak, on the contrary, he says in verse 22, the weaker parts of the body are the ones that are indispensable. It's the strong parts we can do without more easily. That's what he's saying, right? If there's any part of the body that's indispensable, it's the weaker ones. Keep going. And on those parts of the body which we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. You know, that, I won't unpack that. I think it's kind of obvious. But the parts of our body that we think are the least presentable, the parts we take the greater care for and cover and give greater modesty to. So maybe your argument isn't that you're weak, but you're, you're unbecoming or unpresentable. Okay, that's fine. You're still indispensable. Verse 24. God, and he says it a second time, he said it in 18, God arranged the members of the body in 18. Verse 24. God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. 
that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice. There is no notion. It gets back to consumerism. It's just me. No, it's not just you. If you're part of this body, it's all of us. And if you suffer, we suffer. And if you think you're too weak and unpresentable, it's precisely the weak parts that are indispensable, and it's precisely the parts that lack glory that God intends to exalt. So, the blanks. No one will carry it out, and the whole body suffers. And if we don't exercise our gifts, we dishonor Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 25. Yes, sir. Yes. Oh, I don't know if he's. I mean, I'm not saying we can do without. The point is, if there's anything we could replace, what could we replace more easily? What could we do without? Because when he says indispensable, the implication is more indispensable than other parts. So it's not that any parts are like we don't need you. He's already said all parts are necessary. The point is simply, if there's any part of the body that is mission critical. It's the weak parts. That's the point. It's, it's, cons- I mean, and I talk to so many people because, and, and this is one of the reasons why it's important for us to be real with our struggles and real with our sin because we, we're all broken. We all have, we all have weaknesses. And the danger is we show up on Sunday morning and if church is just Sunday morning, it is really easy to look put together on Sunday morning. It is really easy to, to comb your hair and, you know, get together and to keep it together for two hours and smile and say nice things. Okay. You can do that. The danger, if we all do that, is if you're broken and you show up and everyone seems like they got it together, then you think, man, they all got it together, and I'm broken. Huh. And I talk, I mean, okay, I can break, just in the last two years, I can break t- ten fingers. The number of people I've talked to who their experience is, everyone at Martinsdale's got it together. Everyone at Martinsdale's got it together, and I'm a, I'm a broken screw-up, or I, if people knew what was going on in my life, so I really don't belong here, and I certainly can't serve here. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Paul says exactly the opposite. If you're weak, you're indispensable. If you're unpresentable, you deserve greater honor. That's God's purpose and intention in the body. We are mutually interdependent. That there may be no division, that members may be the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, that's an ideal we're working towards. That's an ideal we're moving towards. But it starts by believing it by faith, and then we can start living it out. What we want to do is the opposite. When I see that taking place, then I'll start doing it. No, get this vision by faith, and then start trying to live it. That's what it's got to be. Okay, Matthew 25, we have... Yes! So, what do you say to someone like that? I was thinking for me, like, all right, you know, a weaker person, like, you're indispensable, and they just kind of have to block, you know? Okay. I don't feel indispensable. I feel like I should go. Sure. It says right there in the Bible. No, no, and so so what I I say to people like that is, look, agreeably, I'll agree with you. So what Paul lays out, in some senses, is an idealized picture of the church, and we are going to live this out imperfectly. Um, and it is easy for it to be hard to see how this is true, but the starting point's got to be, do you see this is what God has declared? 
Paul is using a, a common Pauline argument is be what you are. Be what God has declared you to be. God has declared you to be free from sin, so start living like it. God has declared you to be righteous, so start acting like it. Be what you are. So he reminds them of what God's done for them and what his promises are. And he says, in light of what God has declared, do that. So he lays out, this is, this is what the church should be. This is what God has declared the church and how we should act. So you start by saying, do you, do you get that this is the ideal? Okay. Will you... First, see, do you see this as beautiful? I'm not asking if you see it at Martinsdale. Do you see this as beautiful? Okay. Are you willing to work towards this? Are you willing to act by faith to help build this? Because we're only going to build this together. Now, and, I'll, and I'll say, look, I know, I know plenty of people. I'll just think of the conversations I have people about here. There's plenty of people who they may look like they're whitewashed on smiles, but we're all broken. I'm telling you, we're all broken. All the people I've talked to are broken. We're all broken. And I think, you, I think you'll be surprised. I think there are some people that are already living this out more than maybe you think. But the reality is we walk by faith and not by sight. And if all of us wait until this happens before we start doing it, it'll never happen. We've we got to go, do you want to be used by God to help build this? Dude, that'd be something worth giving your life to. That'd be something worth pouring yourself into. That'd be something that would not burn up on the altar when our works are tested. I labored to try to help make this be more true. And of course, the downsides could be you got to be willing to be hurt, you got to be willing to be open, you got to be willing to be let down, right? Consumerism is all about protecting myself. I've been burned at churches before. I've been burned by those hypocrites, so I'm not gonna, I'm gonna keep my walls up, keep my guard up, and I'm, you know, I'm not making the first move. Okay, that, that's what you got to deal with. But identify this is about believing God, and then asking, and then the other thing is asking God to show it to you. So, so you're coming to church saying, God, I don't, I don't feel necessary. I feel like the show would go on just fine without me. In fact, I'm tempted to think they'd be happier if I wasn't there. Um, here's what your word says. God, would you help me believe this? Would you help me to believe by faith what I don't see with my eyes? And God, help me to love this and help me to, if it is taking place, help me to see it. And, and would you be pleased to help me be willing to be someone working to make this happen? I mean, that, that, that's, that's, what I, that's what I've said repeatedly to many people. Um, but it's tough because we were just going against such a consumer culture. And, and so many people in, in the name of mock humility, and I call it mock humility because it's really just about protecting yourself. It's really just about putting yourself first. But you'll, 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 you'll fall on your proverbial sword to make, no, I'm, it's not about them, it's about me. Um, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, I'm just trying to help them. They probably wouldn't want me there. No. No, you're necessary, you're indispensable, you're mission critical. You're, you're, that's, what, that's what God says. You know. Now, Paul doesn't explain how or why, and so when people say, well, how or why, well, then let's ask God to help show us that. Let's ask God to help us see that. Like, that's a fair enough question. Um, but first, it's got to start with, are you willing to do this? And do you want to do this? And now, God, help us see it. Anyway, we've, we've gone over time, but uh, we'll pick up next week on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We actually will pick up on Matthew 25. Then we'll do the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we didn't get to that. We didn't get to it. God bless.